Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am spending another day in my office in Stony Point, Ontario, just outside Windsor, Ontario. It's another day in the same chair, the same desk. If nothing else, this uh, isolation period is really reminding me of how important it is for us to be out and about and getting on airplanes and going see loading docks and front houses and stuff all over the world. But uh, anyway, I decided I would, today would be a great day to reach out to a very good friend and, uh, and somebody I've looked up to for quite a long time. Uh, his name is Miles Mangino. He is the lighting and production designer out of New York City. Thank you so much for making time to chat with me today, Miles. Well, thanks for having me here. Glad to do it. Absolutely. So the reason I'm reaching out to you is because your name has come up at least three times now in the previous podcast. And it's mm. always been when I start talking about extremely innovative ideas or totally out of the box lighting or just completely repurposing something in a very creative way. And I thought today would be a great day to just kind of go and take a deeper dive into What's going on in that uh, in that crazy head of yours that allows you to do some of these things? And a lot of thinking, thinking very hard about it. Uh, would you say that you have like a a process, or what? Where do the sparks come from for you? Is it uh, is it an external or internal spark of creativity? I guess. Um like looking at things out in the world you know as we drive around we see a, a street light and we see the way it's 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 casting a shadow on a building or you see the way water is, is dripping down a rope or you see a, a chain like swinging in the wind and you watch the shadow of it or the way the rain passes through it or something like that and then taking notes and and, and, and i um I do little video clips of all of the just being out somewhere if i see a water fountain and there's a certain way the water is flowing down and the light is hitting it in a certain way. So, so I, may, I, t I take little clips of this and just like bring it back into the studio and, and think about it. But just um, I, that was always, uh, particularly with uh, the Pixies, one of my themes was uh, repurposing objects in the real world. And I always felt like when the, if the audience saw something that they were familiar with that you see all the time, but you're not really sure that it's something that you see all the time, but it's being used on stage. It somehow is an easier way to make a connection and feel um, comfortable with the set and the, and the scenic design. 
Oh, that's very interesting because a lot of your stuff, it looks perfectly normal at the top of the show. You're like, well, that's, those are just some TV screens. No, no big deal there. But then as the course of the show goes over the progression, you're like, oh, that's interesting. That's more interesting. And then by the end of the day, you're like, how, how did you turn a shower door into a video wall? You know, it's really interesting. Is that something um, you plan to like keep revealing newer levels of, of interest? Well, I guess that's what keeps a show interesting is that you don't reveal it all at once that you give everyone a little, you you need, you have to pace yourself just like with the, the band is pacing yourself with their music. They're not giving away all of their guitar riffs and all of their lyrics and all of their melodies at once. They're, they're pacing it through the show and they're giving you a little taste of, of their career and their, and their experiences and their styles throughout. So if you, if same thing with, with lighting and design, if you can um, reveal a little bit of it as you go so that, so that by the end of the show, you've seen every possible um, a combination of, of how the scenic and the set and the lights can do things, but, but it never happens all at once. I used to always have a rule too of trying to never have more than 80% of the rig on at a time and then have some songs where it's only 10% of the rig is on at a time. You know? But of course, you can always, rules are meant to be broken mm-hmm. as well. You say that very humbly and matter of fact, as if that's just common knowledge. And I can assure you that I've been to shows where people weren't aware that you're supposed to reserve some of your tricks for the last couple songs. I've seen a lot of people just kind of blow it all in the first five or six songs. And then they, they just keep going over and over again, using kind of the same tricks. So yeah having every song having the gigantic ending with the symphony and 20 layers of guitars and, and five part harmonies and everyone playing out full from the beginning and end of every song, you know, they, like, like mm-hmm. they, they, they say it, the music saves that for certain points and, and that's what makes it big and dynamic. So maybe that only happens once every fifth song. No, I still see people that decide that they want to use every color and every song and every song kind of looks the same. And, you know, they go from, slow blue to fast red in the choruses and you're like you guys you gotta you gotta stop doing that you can't do it every every song and that's probably why your name comes up so often is because you 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 stick to those rules until you don't i would imagine um we were talking earlier um i used to work as a recording engineer and uh in in recording studios and so you know like one of the things that you do on a song say we're talking more like about a, a classic rock song, but uh, you know, the intro of the song might be the same beat and melody as the chorus, except it's really stripped down. And then you have the first verse come in and you're introducing a, a new chord pattern with one guitar and one vocal. And then the, then the second verse comes in and you're adding another guitar and you're adding an, a second vocal. And then the chorus comes in and you're going back to this intro melody, but this time you're adding a, three guitars and a string part and a, a new drum beat. And so like I tried to apply that same sort of thing, not so, not really in the design of a show, but in the programming of a show so that mm. maybe listen to the song over and over and over again. Uh, like, like say, listen to the big chorus of the song and put in every possible part I can think of for that chorus. Just put it on the loop. It goes and goes and goes for an hour. 
and, uh, and then take one or two of those 20 pieces and use them in the intro. So, so say the intro of the song is a, is a stripped down little guitar picking of the, of the big chorus at the end. So you use one of those pieces. And then the first verse introduces a new cue and a new look and a new color and a new focus position. And then when you get to the second verse, you add another layer of something in, another set of lights goes on, another um, piece of scenic is lit, another you know, artist on stage is lit. And, um, and, you can, and so that the layering of the lights and the way scenic is lit is, is matching the layering of the song same way as, as if they recorded it you know and even you can do things like when I was like when um, uh, like say you, you do a, a third verse is like a breakdown verse and they bring everything really down and, and quiet you can take the zooms on fixtures and zoom them in and then bring the saturation up you know and then as they build you can you can zoom wider and it, it simulates like the guitarist starting to release the mute on his strings or or the keyboard player beginning to hold down a sustain pedal as the notes become wider then then the beams of light become wider now the way you say it makes perfect sense you're just making the lights <laughs> do what the music is doing it just sounds so fundamentally simple and raw the way you the way you describe it Oh, that's good. I always think this, does that make sense to anybody but me? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's true, though. Sometimes that's the best thing we can do as lighting designers is just follow the music and just follow the musicians even. Just kind of do what they're doing the best way we can and use the, our best interpretation of, uh, of that. I'd imagine that's something that you've been kind of following along with yourself being a musician and a, a fan of the sound side as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like as an audiophile, are you an audiophile as well? Uh, not really, but, um, no. but you know, I, I like to listen to music. I do have a, um, a turntable at home, you know, so at dinner every night we put on vinyl, try to nice to quality and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't, I don't know, not particularly. I think, when I worked as a as a recording engineer, I was a bit more into it on that side of it, but not particularly. Yeah, it uh, it shows though. It's the same attention to detail that you require when you're doing recording as when you're doing design. You still have to really pay attention to every every beat and kind of pay attention on what emotions they're trying to come across with the music. When you were um, talking about the shower doors earlier, I, I have a great story about how that. Did you see that show or something? That, that yeah, tour? you. I was at the joint when you brought that one through. Oh yeah, in that's Las Vegas. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I remember, you started front lighting them, and that was kind of interesting. And then you started backlighting them, and that was super interesting. And then backlighting with a front light gobo was even more interesting, and it was it was very cool. But this um, this uh, started out as I was up in Maine and, and was like uh, went on a little went into a lighthouse and uh, on a tour and um, you know uh, a, a a lighthouse has a little candle you know they they not I mean today probably they're LED or incandescent but traditionally they had a candle they were burning a mercury candle behind this huge 
Fresnel lens in this thing, a candle could put out a beam that would go for 10 miles, like a parallel beam. That's right. And I just thought that this was um, amazing and that, that I was, it was at night and we were inside of this lighthouse. And I'm just like, I can't believe this is a candle. And so I started to do some research. I thought it'd be fantastic to just find some like big glass lenses from, from leftover from lighthouses. They must be out there somewhere. And so I started doing some research and um, it turns out they are, you can buy big old antique glass lenses from warehouse, uh, from, from lighthouses. But the problem is, is they're like 400 pounds and they're made out of glass and it wouldn't be very, <laughs> wouldn't be very practical. So I was researching Fresnel lenses and it turns out, you remember those, so those panels you were talking about were old from old rear projection televisions. Remember in the, I guess in the mid nineties, there was these rear projection TVs that had three, that had a RGB bulbs, like RGB projectors behind it really, really close. So they made these for the front edge of the TV. They made this Fresnel. It was like it was cut with like Fresnel um, grooves in it, so that it would spread um, this this projection that was only about 12 inches back. It would spread it on a 180 degree angle. And it turns out, when I was doing research down in like the Panhandle of Florida, these people that live in the wilderness were taking these Fresnel lenses from TVs. And they were hanging them up in trees and using them as solar cookers. So when the sun hit them, they would put their they they would put their food underneath it and cook with these things because it made this concentrated beam of light. And then there was even a bunch of videos where people were like melting through like metal pipes and blowing things up with these. So I contacted this one guy and asked if he could get me a whole bunch of these. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. And he, dry, he like puts out ads on Craigslist and he drives around, he collects up these old TVs. And, and I went down there and we were like smashing them apart in a parking lot and throwing all the parts into a dumpster. And then I brought back these big, you know, uh, I don't know, like 40, you know, like 50 inch wide um, plastic Fresnel lenses. And I wound up getting like 48 of them. And, um, it was incredible when you when you would, when a beam would hit it, it would go it, the the beam would exit the panel at the opposite angle that it went into it. So if you hit it right. at a thirty degree from the left, it would go out at a thirty degree to the right, and it looked like it gave you this weird like beam bending effect that was just that was just fantastic. And then they held an image. I mean, they're designed to hold an image in a lit room. So even in, at a festival, even in full daylight, you could shine a, a gobo at the back of these things and it would hold an image like bright. But one of the only problems was though at a festival, like if the sun hit these things, it would <laughs> light the back curtain on fire like in an instant. So we had to always kind of keep, keep an eye on, you know, usually the shows were after dark, but if we had these things hanging up, during the day, we had to watch, and if the sun was going to hit him, we had to put a black drape over this whole wall of these of these Fresnel panels. But yeah, they were fantastic. Fundamentally, you had a whole back wall of magnifying glasses. Then yes, magnifying glasses. Yep, and sometimes too, like as we were setting up, the crew would grab one of them and like go outside and hold it up and like boil some water or burn some bugs or something. <laughs> <laughs> But they're beautiful funny. and functional. I would one imagine. like, you know, one uh, drum trunk, you could fit 48 of these things. I made a little uh, aluminum frame around them and put some holes in it so they could hang them. 
And then we hung it up and it was like um, a full like 40 foot by 25 foot wall that would, that would all fit in, you know, they're only like a quarter of an inch thick. So they'd all fit into like one drum trunk. That's far easier than uh, several caddies full of lighthouse glass lens. Yes. Fresnel lenses. <laughs> that, yeah, like uh, production, like, yeah, I got a, the scenic. It's it it weighs forty thousand pounds. Are we okay to <laughs> ship that around the world? <laughs> and it's extremely fragile. That's probably one of those things that you just have to take a great idea and figure out how to tour that idea. And in one way, I would imagine it seems like it feels like a compromise, but it's actually a benefit, especially in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the, you know, most of the tours I've been on the last few years are sort of that medium sized theater into the small arena, sometimes the big uh, rock clubs and things like that. So it's like the one to two truck, one to two to three trucks. And so generally those, in, in my experience, those tours don't, um, you're not shipping all your production around the world. You're just shipping backline and a few scenic pieces. So I was usually allowed uh, several cases that would go into each market. And so we'd find a vendor, we'd have a vendor in Europe, we'd have a vendor in North America, have a vendor in Australia, another one in Japan, and then sort of all the other dates. It just had to be, if you wanted in a consistent show, it had to be the scenic had to fit into three or four trunks or something that would go along with the back line and could be shipped between between cities, you know. So this sounds like a common thread for you where you find something somewhere in nature or mm -hmm. out in the real world that looks very interesting and it's your intention is to just apply it to a stage show. Uh, what's another example of something like that, that you were just kind of completely taken in awe by something in nature and then you're like, well, there has to be a way I can, I can magnify that beauty and put it behind my band. I, let's see, I had a, a, a design once where we use dryer hoses from Home Depot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so what was really nice about it is if they got damaged, whatever sitting you're in, you could just send the runner down to buy a bunch more. But I had these dryer hoses that were, would, would coil, and there were a bunch of these big coil, and it made this sort of alien ships that were like standing up, these big alien kind of robot things. And um, and they're the biggest dryer hose, I think they're like 10-inch diameter, and they're silver, yeah. so they really reflect some light back. and. And, um, and then I used just copper coils, um, copper pipes from plumbing department, Home Depot to hold them stiff. And there were these coily things that went up and had big circles of them and they were all in the back. And the stage hands would just be laughing, like, what is this crap? And then, but then when you light them up, they're like, holy shit, look at that. They really light up, you know? And, they, and then once it was all put together, this whole thing of these robots and this alien thing, um, it, didn't, it didn't really look like dryer hoses in the end actually i just saw one this morning that was massive it was like four foot across this big tubular hose thing and i was like shit i gotta get down i would imagine that the crew would be so befuddled they come in they see just piles of dryer hoses and then you you come in and you're like yeah no i've got an idea here and they're like this is dumb yeah this is not okay. gonna work until 
until it works. And then they're and like, oh, man, What's nice about something like that too is that each day you can look at you can look at the, the stage and the room and the proscenium of the theater or something like that. And and you can I could bend things and move it and stretch it and kind of make it adapt into the space um, a little bit. Just step back and look at it and say, hmm, move that one over, pull that one tighter, make that one. So every day you kind of have a new down. set. Uh, you got yeah. the, the basic, the, the core ingredients, but you can still change up the, the recipe any way you need to, to make it fit the room. That's, that's really smart. It's very clever. It's uh, it's almost like, like a madman. Like, no, I got these <laughs> ideas that I'm going to, I got to make them, got to make them full, full size. Yeah. got to bring them to life. You got to have fun out there. I feel like you're, your creativity is being fulfilled. So one of the other things I've always found intriguing about your resume is that a lot of the bands that you work for seem like they would want to have a lot of input. Am I am I right in assuming that they you guys have lots of discussions about the designs of the shows? No, absolutely. Like <laughs> it couldn't be farther in the opposite way. Like literally no input. Like like this sort of several of the main bands I've toured with for many, many, many years, just like show up at the first show and be like, Oh, so what are you doing this time? Oh, wow. Look at that. You know? <laughs> wow. I was way off base there. I... <laughs> no, nothing. Zero input. Like I, I had a funny, one of my funniest ones was uh, that was like 150 shows into a tour. I had a drummer who sits at two feet in front of a 40 foot wide LED wall, look up and go, oh, wow, when did we start using this video wall? And I was like, like a year and a half ago? And he goes, is it always there? And I'm like, yes, every night. And he's like, oh, I never noticed that before. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, so I think I spend a lot of time like doing um, uh, a lookbook and like a proposal and drawings and just in case someone wants to look at it or kind of to try to develop the idea and maybe, um, you know, develop ideas with the with the management or mainly the budget side of it. And but but sort of the creative side. Of it. No, I've been I think I've been really. I've been really blessed in some way that the artists have no creative input. But on the other hand, it's 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 nice to have a a back and forth um, and and work on things. You know? So you just are getting hired on your reputation, or is it usually because they've come and seen something else that you've done? Or if they don't, if they're not that concerned about the look, why are they? How are they finding you? And I don't mean to, I'm asking that in the, in the most uh, respectful way. I mean, that's just, I, that's an amazing story that I just heard. I just heard. Yeah. Well, so, some of the acts I, I've, I've grew, grew up with them and I was, I was with them like the, the Pixies. I was with them since they first started. Okay. When, uh, when you know, they're playing in little, 200 seat venues or they were playing in the cafeteria of a school in Boston and then you know we all first started out and I owned a dozen parkans and a smoke machine 
<laughs> and um but uh and so i've just always been been with them but I, but i guess um i guess the the work comes through production or comes through management and, and maybe they see my work the other people that find you through the pixies then they see they've seen the what the work that you've done with the pixies and they're like oh whatever that guy is we got to have him on our yeah, a fashion so, so, show or a corporate show oh yeah um so no i would say that would be more um the, but in more of the concert side of you know like probably half of my work is the concert side and the other half is the corporate side and the okay. fashion show side but i think yeah like i think the concert or the bands would say oh yeah we saw this show this was really cool or or it was the same production team it was the same crew that moved from tour to tour and then um and then um all my corporate stuff i don't know just about i think it's about building up relationships with people and um and showing up and and, and doing a great job and staying focused and and making sure that uh, everything goes smoothly and 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 not everyone no one's stressed out or nothing goes wrong and everything happens safely and then people ask you to come back on the next thing they had. Okay. I don't know. Something to think about. <laughs> <laughs> so then how did you kind of make the switch from rock and roll to kind of embracing all the other things? I know you do a lot of fashion shows and you do a lot of corporate shows. Uh, let's take it back to like your first fashion show design. How How did that, how did you make that transition? I guess, uh, well, I was actually, I got into more into the fashion side of things. Um, I was on, uh, I was at a show um, at Radio City Music Hall and we were, we were doing uh, a concert and the, the New York Philharmonic was backing up the band and it's this big elaborate production and uh there was a friend that was there at the show that i was i was talking with and um uh she was um uh, a vice president of one of the biggest fashion brands in the world and uh she says man how long did it take you to set this thing up and i said i don't know i started about eight and like you know this is show was going on that night and she's like what, what what do you mean eight when what day I'm like this morning and she was like well we do these fashion shows and 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 this this event producer we have like it, it takes like a month to set the show up and i'm like what do you mean a month and they're like yeah i can't believe how much time they need to do this and i'm like well i'll do your fashion show and we'll do it in one day just like a concert and she's like that's impossible and i'm like well you know you see what you see on stage right here that's going to be set up again tomorrow in Washington, DC. And then the next day in Philly and then the next day in Buffalo. And like, how can you do that? And it's like, that's what we do in this industry. And I think in the, in the corporate world and even in the Broadway world, um, people are shocked at the speed that we move at and the efficiency of it all. And that we have to take it, put it up and take it down in one day, you know? Mm-hmm. I've seen Broadway shows and, and, and I don't, I don't work on that as much, but I've seen like 30 days to hang a lighting rig. And it's like, if this was a rock and roll show, we would do that in six hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyways, because of that, she said, Hey, well, why don't you come and start um, 
producing and and designing our next fashion show. And I was like, sure. And then it turned into a, a six-year relationship of, uh, of of doing dozens of, of shows with this company. Yeah, that's a great story. That's exactly how I would imagine that transition happening. Like, hey, we saw the show. That's great. Do that and do it with your rock and roll flair that we that we love. Do it yeah. faster. Do it. Do it better. If they were prepared for the speed of rock and roll, but it sounds like they gave them exactly what they were they what they were hoping for. Mm. Uh, did you have to completely change your idea of lighting at the time? Because I mean, with fashion shows, they need so much more white light than the pixies do. Well, it's a, it's a it's a different thing. Everything is is it's not about beams and it's and it's um it's it's just about the it's about the the models and skin tone and and, and ultimately it's it's about the outfits that they're wearing and it's about that money shot of when they get to the end of a runway and and seventy five cameras all go click at once. So it's about that that instant. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was a, it's a matter of getting used to that, but um, it's a it's it's a completely different thing that we're going for, you know. It's just just like any any part of lighting, you know, you might see a, a, a DJ show, and the and the 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 principal performer never gets directly lit, and then you might go to see um, an RV show, and and the only thing they care about is is their is their face is lit properly and there's no shadows under their eyes and their skin tone looks nice and and then you do a fashion show and, and the only thing they care about is is um is that the, the the clothes look good in those photos and the models look good in those photos you know and so as if i think if you get that part of it right then that they, they trust you enough and it frees you up to do any bizarre crazy shit you want to do in the background <laughs> you know this one yeah. band that i that i regularly tour with the one of the singers she only looks at she cares about her face she wants her face to be warm and the skin tone to be correct and she doesn't want any shadows under her eyes and um i when, when i talk to her she's like what kind of lights uh are you going to use on my face and i go I'm going to use the 20 years off your age lights right on your face. And she goes, oh, I love you. And then she forgets all about lighting. And then I can do any crazy scenic stuff in the background, anything I want, as long as that one thing is okay. And, and if that one thing is not okay, then they start looking at what else is this guy doing? Ooh. Hmm. So that's that, a right? very important topic right there that is that's <laughs> key it's uh you kind of have to manage the comfort level as well as the uh the the aesthetics you have to make sure that she's comfortable with you and you have to make sure that you come through with your promise in that key element there yeah yeah what kind of light you got in me to miles i got the beautiful light Oh, okay. Exactly. Well, where's the sound guy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, because if you just say, yeah. oh, I've got a, uh, 
an Ayrton Huracan, she'd be like, I don't know what that is. And you'd be like, Yes, oh, avoid no, that. To explain. Yes. I or, the beautiful. You know, I've got the beautiful 20, take the 20 years off light. light. Yes. Yes. The With the warmth. Gorgeous. It's the yeah. warmth, sexy light. Yeah. That's a very key uh, technique that people need to remember that uh, when you're talking to artists, you can't get overly technical. If you spook them with over overly technical jargon, you're you're gonna you're gonna alienate them too quickly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then then there's the other element is that um, you have the other um, sort of uh, emotion that comes off the stage of the artist who wants to be comfortable in their space and they're not as concerned about how they look or they don't really think about that they're thinking about they're playing and they're singing and, and that they feel in a space that's comfortable a space that maybe reminds them of where they write and rehearse you know and, and i was doing um i was doing a tour about four years ago with this real like crooner guy young guy real crooner like the 99% of the audience was girls who were screaming their heads off. And they were just there to see him. They loved him. And uh, he wanted to be in total darkness. And he would even, as the show went on, he just wanted darker and darker. And I just thought about everyone here is just here to see you and to see your face and to see your expression. But but, but he, he wanted to be hidden. He wanted to hide away. And that's what made him comfortable. And that's what made him um, feel like he could perform his best. And that was what he was concerned with. So I had to give him that and make the show that way. And maybe do it another way where he was silhouetted so you could still see, so you could still keep the audience happy, but yet have the performer in a space that um, he was comfortable in. That is such a difficult conversation to have because you know your artist wants one thing but your lighting professionalism knows that something else might be better and in fact you might have a more objective opinion because you're also part of the audience you also know like no your audience really really wants to see you but if you go that if you go too far down that conversation you're you find yourself arguing with your client and next thing you know, they're like, ah, I don't want to argue with you, but you're wrong. But how can I say you're wrong? Because you're ultimately right. That's a tough one. Well, I think the first thing to remember is it's not your show. It's yes. their show. Yep. It's their show. Yes, this one part of it is, is our show, but it's their show. So, mm -hmm. it, you know... Um, how do how do we work together and we can both we can we can um, both do what we want to do but but i think that's that's the first part of it is it's not it's not our show it's their mm -hmm. show so one of the things i've always found interesting or it's similar between the pixies and some of your other shows that you do is you get to work in some of the most interesting venues uh whether it be in New York City or worldwide, 
what are some of the more interesting venues that you have been working in, uh, especially as of lately? I would imagine that you've got some crazy warehouses and some some places that just aren't designed for shows. Um, yeah, like um, I guess because b- b- both I, I spent a lot of time over the last few years on the road with Dead Can Dance and Lisa Gerard and then also with Pixies, but because both of them do um, very well in Europe and spend a lot of time in Europe that we get to kind of go to, uh, I think more of the memorable ones for me are, are in Europe, like um, Dead Can Dance, um, we ended the tour in 2019 um, at the, the theater at the Acropolis in, in Athens, which is like an unbelievable. Like, and, and to go into that space, that I, I went in the night before at midnight and did like an overnight programming in there. And, and you, you can't, obviously there's no rigging and you can't hang anything. So I had to take this, this whole show and, and put it on the floor and everything was just about lighting in the amphitheater. And, um, um, also, last uh, you know, it was a couple summers ago, the, the Pixies did um, this um, uh, castle in, in Corsica, in France. It was in, in the citadel of the castle, and, you know, like inside the castle walls. And uh, and so you had we had to like they get like a like a metal cage, and we put all the equipment in this cage and use a crane to like lift it over the castle walls down onto this stage in the middle. So like, you know, places like that, like an incredible and amazing. Um, in New York City, um, for a few years, I was doing, um, uh, just as unusual venues, we were doing uh, some of these um, DJ EDM um, parties in, in like old warehouses way in the south end of Brooklyn. Um, that were, were interesting because you could just try to transform and this was I was doing like a design not only for the for the event but for the whole site you know outdoor parking lots and turn into food court areas and just like other stages outside and these in these, in these old warehouses and, and had these parties that went on for two and a half days you know, just around the clock playing so that was interesting um, in venues like that that aren't designed for concerts and events do you have to increase your creativity to get the same impact or do you find that the the rooms just lend themselves to be more interesting just because they are interesting um i don't know i just guess you just go into the room and and think about it and uh, and uh use the vibe of what's there and try to do the best with what you have. There was a, there was a, a, a TV show I worked on a few years ago and it was, it was like a live concert thing. And they would, they were picking these really classic clubs like, you know, Tipitina's or the Roxy or uh, the, the Paradise. And they were going into these venues and they were covering all the walls in black drape and then hanging fake scenic in front of it. And then, covering over the bars and putting a fake bar in front of it and hiring like, like actors to be the bartenders and like, and like, why did you even come into this room? You know, like, why didn't you just do this on a soundstage somewhere? You came to the paradise in Boston or you came to the patinas in New Orleans because of it's a great vibe and like, like why not use that? You know? So, so I guess there's a balance between that as the producer of, of it. Um, wanting to 
to um, capture where you are. And I think, yeah, for like the, obviously these raves, they want to, you want to emphasize, but I guess you got to pick and choose what parts of the building do you want to be seen and, and what parts of the building do you not want to be seen. And so, or at different parts of the night or during the day, or parts of the day. But, but using the space is, is um, I, I always like that. I, I started getting into this, um, even, even all last summer, um, doing like another layer of lighting that was a truss like out over the audience and, and taking um, and lighting things to the side and behind people to try to get more of this, you know, this, you know, this trend with L acoustics is doing this Elisa with this um, 3D sound that wraps around mm -hmm. people. So I tried to start taking lighting and, um, and, and, and um, having a truss over the audience that lit the sides and ceiling of a building. And each day you have to kind of pick and choose what you want. And I, and I think sort of as people are, they don't really look at it that much, but as you're looking at the stage, if you feel there's sort of something beyond the peripheral vision of your, of your eyes, there's some kind of a red thing off to the side or there's something above you, not shining on the people, but shining around and behind them. And it, it gives you a more engulfing feeling. Like it feels like it, it pulls you closer to the stage and then, and then maybe I would turn that off if you wanted the band to be more distant and feel further away. But if there was an, a moments in certain songs and you wanted to pull everyone closer together, you know, get rid of the front truss right. specials and use this audience thing to light behind you. And so it's, it's, it's moving the fourth wall um, back behind the audience. No, that sounds very immersive. It's actually like you're actually inviting your stage, your audience on stage. In yeah, one exactly. way. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah, I would I would really appreciate it. I've noticed a few times when I when I feel like the entire room is pulsing with the music and how it adds to my overall experience. I would imagine your audiences appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Everything is becoming more immersive. Mm -hmm. It is. So hopefully we can, especially in, in audio and video, and so hopefully we can, uh, in, in lighting, we can further enhance that. Uh, one of the things that you had mentioned earlier was when people go into a room and they spend a whole bunch of money to make that room not look like the room, <laughs> which is something that it's unfortunate and it sounds like you're getting wiser to just like, no, let's make the room more interesting. Let's just add more interest to the real room. And I would imagine you can do that more effectively, more efficiently and on a, a fraction of the budget that would re require some other people to completely transform the room. Yeah, I think it's um it's a drawback of um, television. People are are used to having um, complete control. You know that mm. they're used to being on a set and have everything um, and 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 in having control over every element and everything. And so, but that's some of the beauty of of, of live music is that we aren't completely in control, and that it's a little bit different each each day. Everything is because you're in a different space. 
So is that something you're being asked to do more and more and uh, current pandemic excluded? Are you uh, being asked to do more and more on less and less? Uh, are your budgets getting tighter and tighter for bigger and bigger tours? Um, I don't know post pandemic because there are no tours, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but I have, st I've just started working on, I just, I've been drawing um, plans for two broadcast studios, two XR studios, you know, using uh, disguise and notch and doing Exciting. These, these VR, yeah, these AR VR studios. And, and that's, um, uh, yeah, some really amazing, interesting stuff that's going to, I think, um, this is going to be our workflow um, over the next year, and then it's going to become more deeply integrated into things, you know, with two-sided video walls or video half-circles walls, and then a video floor and video ceiling, and, and all the content now is just, just, like, just incredible what they can do. So basically you're talking about a concert in a soundstage that's filled with AI and AR and virtual environments and not necessarily an audience. Is that what you're describing? Yeah, I'm working. Um, that's my like current problem. I'm working with two different companies that are building them. Um, and I, and I think a lot of people are doing this, but there's a couple being built in New York. I'm just drawing out the plans and designs for them. But, um, so that you can have a high quality broadcast studio with broadcast quality cameras and good streaming audio and it's a multi-purpose space so it could be a band could be on that stage and broadcasting or it could be a ceo um giving a talk to his company or it could be um, used as a um, i guess in in the film and television world they're they're really using this um, as a, because of social distancing, but even might just be more integrated into their workflow after this. Like as, you know, the Mandalorian was just reading about this morning that they, the, the whole entire thing was done with this, in this, with this circular video wall and all the backgrounds were, were digitally created and it was just on a soundstage and they changed the set inside of this big circular thing and then even in the ceiling over them uh, they were using video as like you know ambient lighting um so so like that i guess um when reading about television and film work has been a lot more done in these xr studios what you're describing sounds like the holodeck to me it, it is the holodeck exactly. instead of uh, loading in some new set pieces <laughs> They just upload new content to change from the surface of the moon to the insides of a living room. They're just uploading new and, content. Yeah, exactly. And it and it looks it looks fantastic. Even in, in the real space, you're seeing it and it's hard to believe your eyes. But once it's on camera, then it's even more indistinguishable. But, but, you know, like, so people are going to start looking for spaces, whether, like you say, whether it's a fashion show or whether it's a, um, a corporate meeting or whether it's a band, they're going to um, start, you know, I think audiences, it's, it's still a year off that, or who knows, could even be more. Um, yeah. But, but people are going to need, they need to keep working and doing things. So, so this is going to be the route. Um, moving forward and then, and then obviously it looks so great it's going to get integrated more into what we do so who, down the road what if we did a, a 
scenic design and stage. It's just a big arching video wall and a video floor and a video ceiling. And, and, and I guess we need to stay home, right? <laughs> the disc yeah, guys and notch uh, guys will be out there. <laughs> you know? That would be a big pivot, but at the same time, it, it you can't stop us from being creative if we're going to if that's the new outlet for creativity, we're going to have to pivot to that. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you're embracing it. Uh, you're like, no, I'm, if that's where it's at, that's where, that's where miles is going to go. It's going to go. Yeah. Well, it's another element, you know, there's still something about the, using things in the real world and that you can touch and feel and come out forward at you in this, this in not two dimension. I mean, when you're watching something on a screen, it's, it's already two dimensional. But I think when you go to a concert, that's you won't be able to have that surrounding immersive feeling unless you have, um, you know, lights coming out of lighting these building surfaces and, and beams in the air. Uh, so did, is that something that you uh, started pushing for? Or did somebody reach out to you like, hey, Miles, we need some help? some creativity here or is that something that you decided like no this is clearly um, both, what's going you know, to be the future a little both both just you know sitting around going what is going to happen us two you know now it's now um oh, i've read it was a hundred days today since the uh, in new york oh my god so um um yeah so that first i think that first month everything i was just so careful about not touching light switches or being near anybody else and just trying to stay isolated and making sure i had enough food and, and wine to survive <laughs> and um but but now as it's it's sort of just sort of adapted into ourselves that you wear a mask when you go outside and you wipe down a, your hands after you touch a door handle and it seems like it's a little bit more natural, but that first, you know, that first month or two, it was, I was trying to listen to every imaginable podcast and every imaginable conference call and figuring out what is everyone going to do? What is everyone going to do? And I think in the beginning it was, it was about how are we going to get back to how we were? And, um, and that was a lot of the fear that was out there, but now we are seeing there is no going back to how we were, but it's how are we going to do something new moving forward in, in, in a new world, in a new way? Yeah, you got to embrace that. I, I don't know if we should go back to the old ways. Uh, obviously, we still need to be able to bring people together, but is that yeah, the people way to eventually being back together, but it's, it's going to be a new, it's going to be different. Right? Everyone's everyone's workflow is going to be different. It's going to take time before, you know, we've forgotten all about this. Yeah. You know. So you were just kind of going over some of the logistics of uh, being a, a father and a person in New York city at the time. What, what is it like with your, with your daughter uh, to being able to just travel inside New York at the moment? Um, even though I live in Manhattan, I, I've been really isolated from it all. And, and my studio is out in Queens and I have a car and like a lot of uh, New Yorkers. So we, we live on the river, all our windows look out at the river so we can go outside and be on the river and the, the city is sort of behind us, even though we're right there in it. And so 
I really tried to stay um, as isolated as we could. And, you know, one, we're one block south of uh, the Kips Bay, which is the hospital district. And when I, uh, when I get in my car and, and come out of the parking garage, I was coming out from behind one of the hospitals and there was a lot there where they started lining up the refrigeration trucks to store the bodies. And I remember seeing one surrounded in fence and police on either side. And I had to drive by it as I pulled out of my garage. And then, then there was two and then there was three and then there was five and then there was seven. And uh, as I would come out every day, I would count them. And it just kept adding up. And once in a while, I'd see them rolling the gurneys out and putting bodies in the trucks that were open. And, um, and uh, it went from police surrounding this thing, gates around it, to sort of the curiosity after a month, the curiosity of it wore down a little bit. And uh, it got up to 13, 13 trucks were there. And now they've... Um, uh, and the police went away after a while. I think there's like a hospital security guy sitting there. And, and now the trucks have been getting reduced and reduced. And now there's like the three, three left. So, so I saw that, but I was, um, I was isolated. I just tried to stay isolated. I've got a four-year-old girl and we just wanted to be as careful as we possibly could. And, and uh, ordered all we, when this, when this first happened, we, 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 got good supplies and put things in the freezer and broke everything up into little bags and got like big supply of rice and dried goods and things. And I just thought about what can I do? And what if I don't, what if I can't go out for three months? What am I going to do? And uh, I did that long before, um, long before the lockdown happened, you know, made sure I had masks and gloves and, and before it, it hit the United States and um, when I saw what was happening in, in Asia. So um, I think we, we, we got prepared and, and we stayed isolated from it. And, and now I think New Yorkers um, are, are really smart about it. And, and I, we go out and everyone is wearing a mask just about, um, even still today, and the numbers are going down. And it seems like, you know, it's getting a little, you know, you still stay, stay careful. If you walk by someone on the sidewalk, we stay away from them. and. Um, you know, we always wash our hands and we wear a mask. And then if we go to the beach, I, I drive an extra hour to go to a beach where I can sit and there's nobody within a hundred feet of us, you know, and you wear a mask until you sit down in your spot at the beach, you know. So, so we've, we've been really careful with it, even though we nice. were in the middle of it. Yeah, you're in the epicenter. Uh, yep. Sounds like you're a little uh, oasis in the middle there, but yeah uh, i would imagine miwa had questions right did she see the trucks and she she has to know what's going she on she didn't see that but explain you know really explain that there was a sickness and you have to wear this mask and to not get the sickness and uh, and her school was was fantastic and um within a week they had a um, program online and they had all the courses and we really tried to stick to a, a really rigid schedule um that that she 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 goes and you know checks in with her homeroom at the same time she would have arrived at homeroom in the morning and then does each of her online classes at the same time and have meals at the same time and, and um, I think that was that was important just to just to stay on the same schedule she was on except That's she's important. at home. Yeah. How's your teacher skills? Um. 
Well, it's it's yeah. also a learning it's also a learning <laughs> experience. But like I say, our the school we belong to this kind of little boutique kind of hippie East Village school, and okay. um, and they were fantastic about getting everything up and online as as quick as possible. Right on. And even in in uh, yeah, I think it took me longer to learn the five apps that you have to, and they eventually consolidated <laughs> it all down into. I'm sure you're dealing with this too. They consolidated it all down into Google Classroom, which which uh, which works um, pretty good. But yeah, up here we're all consolidated into Edsby, which is uh, an online app, which is it's really nice for the kids. Yeah. And then I think they have Lexia, which is how they they progress and they monitor that way. And then they can they've got their little digital recess where they can all go and they can all chit chat online and they can upload photos and yeah we had to have a couple of discussions about what sort of photos you can upload to show your friends and which ones you can't and all the little things that our kids have to learn that we never had to deal with hmm. yeah i guess the ipad becomes the the window into the classroom and the window into all of our friends and yeah, you and I might be the last generation where you could take a kid's device away from them because it was just for pleasure or pastime. But now taking a kid's device away is, well, how do I know what time it is then? How do I go to school? How do I, how do, yeah. I do so many things? How do I access my <clears throat> encyclopedia? Like, oh, crap. I, okay, well, you can only have your phone for your educational apps and school and to talk with your friends. And it's so tough. It's, we're kind of dependent now. I guess just like what we were talking about with, with concerts and, and live events that, that you, there's so far you can go in this virtual world, but then when people crave the, the physical, you know, so I, I try to, really limit her how much screen time she has because it's, it's a bad for your eyes and your brain development yes. having this 2d world and and you try to have a lot of time with, with physical objects and and doing crafts and drawing things and not drawing on the if the ipad if there's an assignment to draw on the ipad then um, we, we do it on paper and then scan it in you know so that she feels the brush and she feels the crayons and the the sharpies and the paints and, and it just develops a different a different kind of skill and and, this, and, and that's important to um, to feel a connection in, to your world and, and not just a, a flat yeah. 2d world and i think it's the same thing like what we're talking about with with the experience of live events maybe the mandalorian can be completely done on a screen because your only interaction and your only experience with that is on a screen you see mm -hmm. it on a screen you're never going to be on that set but when we go to a concert or we go to a conference or we go to a fashion show we're there we are there we are there on that set and so real objects scenic things being lit with with real lights and um and the room that you're in being lit in a way and decorated in a way um, adds adds a special element to um, to being in a live place. You know, <clears throat> maybe that could be the key to to the year after Nexus designs is that 
if everyone is seeing everything on the screen, then the way you can get away from those screens is you can go to a live event, so you can go to a concert. You know, my, my um, tour with Dead Can Dance last summer, we had two tours in Europe, and we would have just finished a tour in the US and in South America um, if, if, if it didn't get postponed. But um, I, I had um, four video screens on stage, but there was no video and no content. Everything was just lit with lights from the back and the front and, and drawing patterns and gobos and shapes and saturation and colors and layers um, uh, without content. Just painting that those painting those screens with with what we could do with fixtures, and so I thought it was uh, uh, the idea was it was nice to see that it was nice to see that sixteen by nine shape on stage, a small one and a big one, and then two portrait ones on the side, and your eye feels comfortable and familiar with that shape because we look at it all the time, we look at it on our phones and on our computer screens and our iPads and our laptops and even our television and we look at this this 16 by 9 shape. So if you saw that, that was the scenic uh, scenic part of the show was these four screens, but but then have no content. And, and I think that gives a relief to your eyes and allows you to see something new and something that you can hold on and feel closer to. That is so interesting because it used to be in concerts where you had to go to a concert to see something like a jumbotron or a large image. But now we're so inundated with large 16 by nine images. They're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. They're at the sports bar. They're at the kids schools. They're yeah. freaking every, even uh, you can't even go get a haircut at a barbershop now without their, let them plopping you down in front of a 16 by nine. You can't get in a taxi that the back of the seat has a screen on it, screaming something at you. It's exactly. Like, you can't turn it off. You like, go to Vegas. They're even in the faucets. Now you go to the, Oh yeah. <laughs> in the, the faucets have a screen now. And so for you yeah. to take the same shape, the same, you, the person's brain would be like, well, clearly there's going to be content on that. Why isn't there content on it? And when it just hmm. doesn't come, I would imagine that's, it's relaxing it's like oh thank you the yeah. shape that i'm comfortable with without the assault that i was dreading yeah jesus just sitting Very in my clever. studio here i think i have one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve screens around right now. <laughs> ah, turn it off yeah ah Miles, it doesn't even feel like an hour at all. I feel Was like it? we need oh. to take some time to set up a part two to this one because I still have, yeah. uh, I still have at least seven more questions that I had to ask, uh, slated to ask you. Yeah, I'd be happy. I guess on my rambling on and on and on. Oh yeah, we had a you had a whole list of rambling. You had a whole list of. I would topics call it here, nuggets of wisdom for sure. Yeah. <laughs> We never got uh, to your it's it's topics. all too often when I get into these when we get into these grooves that we just go way off topic and and uh, you know if only we had uh, if we were at a pub or something it would be even farther off topic but, yes uh, but here we are 
thank you so much for taking the time yeah. i really appreciate it yeah thank I, uh, you for having me it's been uh it's been fantastic and, uh, i look yeah. forward to seeing how quickly you get back on uh onto the creative train and start putting together some magic yeah can't wait <laughs> all right yeah let's do it again <laughs> <laughs>